0: Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus Kid, and I've been working my way through quite a lot of Legion of Superheroes comics lately, and the reason for that is because I've been on a Legion of Superheroes sort of binge, I suppose you might say. But specifically, you know, not just any Legion of Superheroes comics, specifically, I've been Honestly, I've been obsessing a little bit over the Legion of Superheroes uh, Five Years Later series. And the reason for that is, you know, I honestly don't know if I've talked about, like, specifically what it is about Five Years Later that has sort of captured my interest. I may have touched on it last year when I was in uh, yet another Legion of Superheroes mood. And I was releasing a bunch of episodes of Trenis Magnus Jabs Reality. Uh... In part about the Legion. I mean, I talked about other things in those Trinus Magnus Jabs reality episodes, but there were quite a few that were about the Legion of Superheroes. And I think that the reason that I gravitate towards this so much, this as opposed to, say, other iterations of the Legion, is because there's a wider story that's being told here. Whereas in Legion of Superheroes Volume 3 with Paul Levitz and well, honestly, a kind of a shit ton of other artists. I get the idea that Levitz was basically going from one story to the next to the next to the next, but he wasn't necessarily telling. He didn't have a, a a bigger agenda in mind, you know. Whereas, damn it, man, you know whether you love these Five Years Later comics or not, there is a bigger agenda that's going on here. And so, as a result of all of that, I don't know why, but there's just this is this is just what what does it for me and honestly i think there's a lot to be said sometimes for stories where the characters face true adversity you know in volume 3 yeah there was adversity yeah there were supervillains running around causing trouble yeah there were there there could be a lot of friction between one legionnaire and another but generally speaking things were working pretty smoothly in volume three whereas here in volume four the shit has hit the fan several times over by the time of issue number one and so as a result the legion are now pitted against i think real true adversity and so to me it's just it is or at least it can be a little bit more of a dramatic story if you talk about how the characters come back from all of that. Does that make sense? So anyway, uh, don't really want to drag things out, uh, out here too much because uh, I, I just want to get straight to business. This is Legion of Superheroes, volume four, number seven. Cover date is May, 1990. Writers are The Gif, which is to say Keith Giffen, Tom Beerbaum, Mary Bierbaum, and Al Gordon. Penciler is The Gif. Inker is Al Gordon, colorist is Tom McCraw, letterer is Todd Klein, editor is Michael Urie. Story synopsis is as follows. Cosmic Boy and Mordrew have dinner together while the other Legionnaires have been captured by Mordrew's forces and imprisoned in the dungeon. As they discuss the issue of releasing Missa, the White Witch, Mordrew accidentally reveals that he also has Rond Vidar held captive as well. Cosmic Boy smartly makes a move to regain the two former Legionnaires. Meanwhile, Laurel Gand crashes into Mordrew's headquarters like a boss, and in short order, she and Vrykos, which is to say Mordrew's minion, take turns kicking the stuffings out of each other. Back in the garden, Mordrew can do nothing but relent because Cosmic Boy has the upper hand in the negotiations and they both know it. So. The Legionnaires walk out of Mortrus headquarters with Missa and Rond in tow. Elsewhere, Celeste Rockfish, Bounty, and Devlin follow Element Lad's orders to go to Wynoth in search of Roxas. To be continued. Although I'm not really sure when at least I'm going to be continuing this because I'm not saying that I'm fed up with the Legion, I'm sick of it, I never want to hold another Legion comic, but I think By the time I finish recording the episode that you're listening to right now, I'm thinking that I'm probably going to have had my fill of the Legion by now, and probably will want to talk about something else. So, I'm not saying that I'll never talk about the Legion of Superheroes ever again. On the contrary, I guarantee you that I will. I just don't specifically know when that's going to be. So. But what I can say is that I love, love, fucking love this cover because it's, I think it, it's representative of what this story is, right? It's basically, uh, it's a, a picture of, of uh, Missa. She's in what looks to be the just decimated remains of Mordrew's dungeon. There's a little bit of blood Pulled up on the ground, uh, a lot of stuff has just been smashed to pieces, and she's sitting there, kind of hunched against a support column in the dungeon, and a lot of stuff's been knocked over, broken, kicked aside, split in half, or whatever else, places covered in blood, and there you've got Missa, like I say, sort of crouched against the support column, and she is just a broken woman uh, she's honestly this is one of those things that i think is better left to the imagination what exactly did missa experience when she was in more drew's clutches this is one of those things that i think it works better if we don't know about because honestly my imagination and when it comes to just what it is that missa has had to endure the entire time that she's been in effect more Drew's prisoner I mean he can call her a wife as much as he wants but she's really been more like a prisoner my imagination is gonna already go to some darker places than anything that you may want to put on a comic book page and so as a result of all of that I think it actually works better if you don't know exactly what it is that happened to her now Content-wise, I find it kind of interesting that there's not a Comics Code stamp on on uh, the cover of issue number seven, and as I'm glancing through the other covers that have come in this series, I'm not seeing a, a Comics Code stamp on any of them so far either. Working backwards here, but so far not a single Comics Code stamp, and so this is You know, in the late 80s, DC had what they called the Mature Readers line. And for that time, you know, I actually... I think there is some accuracy, perhaps, in calling DC's Mature Readers comics actually Mature Readers comics. Because these days, it seems like if comic book creators want to be edgy, their way of doing so is to have a lot of rape and gore and all this other shit on a on a comic book page and for me if you want to call something mature readers it's not enough just to have like graphic and kind of explicit content in your uh, in your comics to me what you want is basically tackling stuff that let's face it you're never ever gonna see in an archie comic book you know and that seemed to be the rule of thumb by which DC was operating that or something similar to it seemed to be the rule by which DC was operating with their mature readers line back at least in the late 80s and early 90s now thereafter that's when the problems start but at least before the problems that seemed to be generally the guidelines that DC was working with they wanted they didn't want to go too far in terms of content but they did maybe want to push the envelope a tiny bit and do stuff that I think, if anything, would probably be a little bit in the gray area of what the comics code would, would allow. And so either way, you know, I still think it works better, notwithstanding the fact that this is arguably a mature reader's comic by late 80s, early 90s reckoning. This is arguably a mature readers comic. I still think it works better if we don't know the full extent to which Missa has been, I mean, let's face it, basically systematically destroyed by Mordred over, uh, over these, maybe not all five years of the five year gap, but a pretty long time. <clears throat> and so I just, I happen to think that works better. So anyway, getting into page one, <clears throat> This is, it's basically a scene with uh, uh, Vrykus and we never really see his face throughout this entire issue, and apparently the reason for that was the GIF had some kind of idea in mind, or there was going to be a twist, or something like that, and for whatever reason, the GIF just never really got around to it, and so as a result, we do not we don't really know what this guy looks like and so in some ways i guess that's kind of bad but in another way i mean i do at least appreciate the idea that this wasn't an arbitrary artistic technique that the gif was running with here there was an actual agenda in mind and for whatever reason it just it just never happened so i like that but one of the things though that comes out is that this guy Vrykis is, he's he, hes basically a vampire, is what it comes down to. Uh, but he's sort of like a DC universe kind of vampire. So it's not enough that he just sucks the blood of other of, of other people. He gains their abilities, if they happen to be superhuman in some way or another. He gains their abilities. And so, for that reason, it's actually kind of logical that he would... Well, he would do some of the things that we see him do in this issue. But at least here on page one, we see him basically cursing the dead body of one of Mordrew's harem. And you kind of get the idea that, I mean, just think about this for a minute. I mean, bad enough that you've been basically forced into Mordrew's harem. I mean, to me, you don't have to go any further than that. That by itself... Is a uh, fate worse than death, I would think, for most people. But it's like, on top of all of that, you know, all of the other indignities that you have to suffer, as if all that stuff wasn't bad enough. Now, you don't even, it comes out here that you don't even get the guarantee of, well, hey, at least no one's gonna come along and kill me. Well, no, that's not necessarily true, because, like I say, this chick looks like uh, somebody that had a little bit of dialogue with Missa back in issue number six. And apparently, uh, being part of Mordrew's harem offered her no protection whatsoever. And it's just like, like God, what a horrible way to die. I mean, because like I say, you're part of some psychopathic, magical ass clown's harem, which is already bad enough, but now some along, so somebody comes along and they just fucking kill you and drink your blood. And, and then the final indignity... Uh, uh, Vrykos says the very loose, uh, or rather the very least he could do is allow me to feed on one of them, meaning the captured legionnaires. Vrykos thinks to himself the very least he could do that Mordru could do is allow me, meaning Vrykos, to feed on one of them. Instead, I have to settle for this worthless trollop, which is to say this chick from Mordru's harem, and It's just, you can, in uh, page one, panel six, you see uh, a semi-close-up of her. And, you know, her eyes are all dead, blank and deadless, or lifeless. And uh, her, she's just laying there dead. She's got two puncture wounds in her neck. And it's just, this is just a horrible, horrible way to die. And so, basically, is he's just sitting there. He's drinking, presumably, her blood out of a cup. And he's just kind of brooding and lamenting his lot in life when all of a sudden he hears a boom outside. And he runs out onto his balcony to see what's going on. And on page two, we see that Laurel Gand has made her way from uh, the the, uh, planet's moon. She's landed basically now in the courtyard. And at least here, uh, this is where it comes out that Uh, here on page two, that number one, this woman is a Daxamite, and number two, her name is Laurel Gand. So I imagine this probably was, in some ways, maybe a relief for Legion fans at the time, because here at the top of page two, the, the top three panels, and then of course all through this issue, we see a lot of shots of Laurel's well, her thong, shall we say. And I've actually used these three panels at the top of page two for the art this week. And it's not because of her uh, of her thong. I promise you it's not. I just, I like the layout of these panels. I like Laurel's uh, internal monologue here. I like the composition of this art and everything. Because, I mean, this is just the gif being the gif. And it's awesome. I love it. It's really not because of the butt cheeks. Because I, I really don't like the fact that I'm having sort of butt cheeks art two weeks in a row here, or at least two episodes in a row uh, with these shows. But it's, that's just sort of the way that things worked out. But I do kind of like the implied characterization that's going on here of Laurel Gand wearing kind of skimpy clothes. And the reason for that is because, you know, back in the pre-crisis days, yes, Supergirl was a member of the team. But I don't know why, maybe it's just this is a preconception that I've always had all on my own. Supergirl isn't really the kind to put her body on display, especially like pre-crisis Kara zor She's not the kind that's going to go around showing her butt cheeks to the world, all right? That's just, that's really not who she is. And I, I just get the idea that... I don't know. It's just, that I just, I, I cannot picture her doing that. Whereas Laurel Gand wearing this thong, and wearing skimpy clothes, and all that, this, it kind of becomes apparent in other parts of this issue, that this is a, this is a character who is eminently secure in herself, she is very self-confident, she knows who she is, she knows what her power is, and on the one hand, like, I want to be careful how I say this, on the one hand, it's not that she goes looking for fights, okay, because I don't think that's who, Laurel Gand is at all. But it's like at the same time, if a fight comes comes her way, she's not gonna run away. And on some level or another, she's actually gonna kind of enjoy it, you know. This is a this is somebody who doesn't mind getting her knuckles a little bit dirty, you know? And here again, I just don't have that sense of of a pre-crisis supergirl. I mean, I always got the idea that fighting for her. That was really more of a last resort. She was just naturally more passive. Whereas there's really not very much that's passive about Laurel Gand. Uh, like I say, she doesn't... She kind of... I, th- I think she's secure enough in herself. She doesn't really consider this uh, necessarily a sexual thing. She just likes these this type of clothes. And somebody who has the just the raw firepower that she does, I think it actually kind of makes sense that she wouldn't necessarily cover up all of her skin that, you know, it it wouldn't occur to her that she's putting her body on display. Or if it does, maybe it's a challenge to others. Hey, do you think you can hurt me? We'll come and do it. You know, she's somebody who, again, it's not that she likes going out looking for trouble. I don't think that's accurate. But when trouble comes looking for her, I think she actually does kind of like uh, rolling with, with supervillains. You know, I get the idea that, I mean, again, she doesn't go looking for that, but she's definitely not going to run either. And so I just, I, I don't know why. I, I just, to me, this goes so much to character, and it really goes a long way towards me just thinking that Laurel is just a, a really cool character. I just, I, I like her. I like her style. And she's obviously sort of a supergirl surrogate. But at the same time, she is still very much her own character, and I dig that. And one of the things that becomes very apparent, like I say on page two, is number one, she is a Daxamite, number two, her name is Laurel Gand, and number three, she's a known commodity among among the Legion of Superheroes' enemies, all right? She's not some, uh, she's not a... Uh, a, a plan B. She's not a secret weapon. She's not anything like that. She's a front and center, active, or she was anyway, a front and center active member of the Legion of Superheroes. And yes, this whole business with Monel murdering the Time Trapper, and subsequently the Time Trapper being replaced by Mordru, subsequently the uh, the uh, Mordru being replaced by Glorith. You know, these changes have created the existence of Laurel Gand and her history that did not exist in issue number four, but most certainly existed starting in issue number five. Notwithstanding those facts, she is still a known commodity, you know, uh, among, you know, across the entire galaxy, and certainly, I would say, among the Legion's enemies. And so here what we see is Vrykus. He's actually very intrigued by her. He's like, at last, something interesting, you know, because I don't know this to be true, but I imagine that Vrykus gets a little bit bored. You know, he's hanging around Mordrew's headquarters. They've got this little, I don't even know what, almost looks like its its own little sort of miniature village in a way. And I get the idea that Vrykus's life most days is pretty boring. You know, this is a guy that he enjoys killing, he enjoys uh, fighting, he enjoys all that stuff. And he, you know, Mordrew being as fearsome as he is, Vrykus, poor Vrykus, doesn't really get a chance to strut his stuff all that much. And then here comes Laurel, and it's like, Vrykus, uh, he would stop, I think, whatever he's doing, specifically so he could pick a fight with her, just so something interesting something different can finally happen in his life and yeah the guy's a vampire and yeah he can absorb the abilities of whoever's blood he drinks and i think for that reason alone he would be interested in fighting a daxamite but it's like at the same time i get the idea that that's not his only that's not his only motivation you know the power I think as much as anything, he just he likes to fight. He wants to fight people. This is what he wants to do with his life. And so he realizes, you know, if if what you want to do is fight somebody who's got an incredible amount of just sheer firepower, you're probably never gonna get a better shot than what he's got right here. He's got a full-blooded Daxamite who obviously he's got her dander up. She's obviously in a fighting kind of mood. This is the best chance he may ever get in his entire miserable life. He's not going to let it slip away. And again, it just goes to character. That's the way that the GIF seems to want to do all of these comics. Yeah, you get cool action scenes and you get cool costumes and, and all that fun stuff. But at the end of the day, all of this goes to tell a story or it goes to develop characters or just fuck or or whatever, you know, whatever it is that he's doing. And you know, none of this, and I guess this is my point, none of this is, you know, arbitrary action or, for that matter, in, in Laurel's case, even arbitrary TNA. Mostly A, I would imagine. But it's not arbitrary, you know. I mean, it goes to character that she dresses this way. And I buy it, so, you know, whatever. Fine by me. So anyway, getting into page three, Laurel makes her way through through the dungeons, and there she comes across Rond Vidar, and as as I said, uh, was it issue number one? No, I guess it was issue number two. Back in issue number two, Ron is basically being tortured here. He's getting devoured by this magical snake worm-looking thing. His uh, Mordru's magic will automatically regenerate Ron's body, and then the magical snake worm-looking thing will devour him again, and again, and again, and again, and you know. Laurel sees that and you can you can just imagine just how horrifying that would be. Vrykus chooses that moment to get the drop on her. He kicks her into the snake pit and Laurel vaporizes the magical snake worm looking thing with her heat vision and after that, this is on page four, after that the fight's on. Uh, Vrykus knocks Laurel through a wall on page five, Laurel, uh, you can tell this is, again, it's not that she, it, it's not that she goes looking for trouble, but I get the idea, Laurel kind of likes to fight too, you know, she likes using her power, you know, she's strong, she's confident, and on some level, I mean, she's very well aware of the peril that the Legionnaires are facing right now, she's very well aware of the the danger of this moment, the stakes and everything, but In this moment she has to fight Vrykus and so knowing that I think I think she kind of enjoys that you know and again it's just god it's just such good character development anyway but uh, moving right along this is on page five she knocks Vrykus through a wall and from there they take turns you know just beating the tar out of each other you know uh she she kicks him around for a while then then he kicks her around for a while uh they're knocking each other through walls uh you know little uh uh bridges and and, uh staircases and all these other sorts of things they're they're cracking and um these sort of interior retention ponds that mordrew has they look look almost kind of like koi ponds those things are starting to collapse and leak water uh leak water around and this is just this is probably the most visceral uh fist fight that we've seen in any of these issues so far yeah, we got a little bit of a fist fight with, with Ultra Boy in issue number two. And that was great, you know, nothing against that. But, I mean, it wasn't... It didn't really last all that long, you know. They weren't, you know, uh, Joe and uh, the Assassins. Joe, when you think about it, made pretty short work of the Assassins. And then getting into issue number four, yeah, you had that knockdown drag out between the Time Trapper and uh, Largand. But... That was more sort of like abstract, you know. I'm not here to say that the Largan Time Trapper fight in issue number four was completely arbitrary, totally useless. It, it was just filler. But at the same time, you know, it wasn't. I don't know. It just it wasn't as visceral as the fight that we're that, that we're seeing here, you know, with a uh, uh, Vricus and Laurel Gan just. just beating the snot out of each other. God, this is just such good stuff. Page 5. Anyway, getting into page 6, this is the first of three prose pages in this issue. Now, guys, I want to be clear about this, you know, I'm one of those people who thinks that comics needs to be comics, okay? If you're going to make a comic book, then make a fucking comic book, alright? It... it usually annoys the crap out of me when some some writer decides that he's gonna make some or all or part or whatever of his comic book into prose all right this is a visual uh, medium shit stain and yeah you need to stick with telling your story visually as much as textually and usually that's just about the way I look at it but number one it's only three pages number two it's not even really three pages if you think about it I mean it's basically it's like three half pages so number one it's just like by volume I can roll with it you know so there's that number two this is actually really well written prose Uh, this is by Tom and Mary Beerbaum, and there's some art on the page there's Uh, That little Mordrew symbol uh, in the top right, there's another uh, Mordrew symbol in the lower right, Uh, right there in this kind of center right is the prose uh, stuff. And then on the far left, this is basically, it's it's basically rock. He's sitting there, he's wearing what looks like this kind of neo-Victorian sort of getup, but pink. And it's like, what the fuck am I even looking at? And it's like, of course Mordrew is going to force Rock to, to dress like this. Uh, it, yeah. There's, I don't know, It it's it's just good. Now I will say that this is some kind of weird anatomy that we're seeing here. Normally I don't think it's my business, and, and by here I mean page six. Normally I don't think it's my business to criticize the gif on this, that, or the other thing. But this is just this is kind of weird. That basically what we're seeing here—it's Rock's head. And it's like, what the fuck am I even looking at? I mean, if you just if you just glance at it, and you don't pay too much attention to what you're to what you're seeing. Um, I guess it doesn't look so strange. But when you really start paying attention to it, I mean, if you have a, if you're in the If you're listening to this in a place where you you can look at a reflection of yourself go ahead and do it and for most people what you'll see is that your eyes kind of sort of line up with your ears right they're going to be not maybe not exactly centered with one another but they're going to be generally lined up pretty close to one another right for most people and that's really not what we're seeing here with rock on page six where, if you look at the alignment of his ears as compared to his eyes, it's like there's a lot of empty space between the top of his, uh, of his ear and the bottom of his eye, right? Now, like I say, usually they line up with one another fairly well. Not always, but it's like, I mean, it's not exactly necessarily like perfect, but they're going to be pretty close, like I say. But here, what we're seeing is like, like I say, the top of his ear comes nowhere close to alignment with the bottom of his eye. It's like if they, if you were to, if you were to imagine that this was like a real person who looked this way, I'd estimate it's probably off by at least two, maybe two and a half inches. And that's, that's a fucking deformity, guys. I mean, it's basically, it's more like his ears are coming out of the back of his jaws. And that's just fucked up. I mean, it just looks, like I say, it doesn't look so bad if you just glance at it and then look away, but if you study it a little bit, yeah, this is kind of weird looking. I mean, it's almost like he's got ears coming out of his neck or or gills coming out of his neck or something. I don't, I don't even know what. So it's just, it's really weird looking. So here we see that even the gif is only mortal. So anyway, the, the point of it is, though, this is really well written prose, and like I say, it doesn't really drag itself out that long. And this is actual prose. I mean, you could almost picture this as a section of, like, legit novel, you know? And... so... I um, don't It just... I like it. It just works really well. So, elsewhere, this is getting into uh, pe- uh, pages seven and then going forward from there. The other Legionnaires, uh, they've come to, they're in their dungeons and they none of them completely understand like what the hell just happened to them and what you realize is it's actually the noise of the battle between uh, laurel and vrykus that's actually what what's uh, woken them up in their rooms and so they're wondering what the hell happened hold on wait what the hell am i wearing what the hell is going on here and so they basically regroup with uh, with each other. Chameleon Boy, Ultra Boy. They join force, uh, forces forces with, uh, with with Kono. Um, all of them. They, they reacquire Furball, and they no sooner join forces and regroup with with each other than right here on page nine, the uh, th- the fight between Laurel and Bricus, uh basically spills over into their cell, and. I, I just I kind of like this moment. Um, a chameleon boy says Laurel, Laurel Gan, you all right? And just conversationally as anything, she says, Oh, I'm fine. Uh, how uh, how are you guys doing? And I don't know why, but again, it just goes to character. It's like yeah, she's getting kicked around a lot here, but like I say, she, there's a there's a part of her that kind of enjoys the fact that she's. She's in a fight with somebody who, who can take just about everything that she can possibly dish out. And so, anyway, I just, I, I like this. And then, I, you know, the character development that we're, that, that we're seeing here uh, on page nine is that the, the Legionnaires very much have a sort of all-for-one, one-for-all type of way of uh, uh, doing things. And so that's what we see, page 9, panel 5, Chameleon Boy says, Buddy, when you fight one of us, you fight all of us. And Laurel basically calls him off and and says, No, I want a piece of this guy all on my own. And here's Kono, kind of, again, going into that all for one, one for all thing, where she, she basically takes... Uh, Vrykis straight out of the room, right? Uh, She basically shifts his mask and uh, drops him into the... Well, it looks like she drops him down several stories, uh, several stories down in like a dungeon or something? I don't know. Anyway, so needless to say, that's probably the most aggravating thing that's happened to uh, Vrykis all day long, because he was really enjoying the fight with Laurel, And he didn't necessarily want to stop. So, he basically decides, okay, you know what, fuck it. I guess I'm done fighting the Daxamite, at least for right now. Uh, Obviously, these people are attempting an escape, and so I need to go find the Green Lantern, which is to say Rond Vadar, and uh, make sure he at least stays where he's supposed to stay. And getting into page 11, we're starting to get... It's, again, it's never made specific what exactly it was that was done to Missa by Mordrew. And I think this is one of those times when ambiguity really is your friend because your imagination, the reader's imagination, is always going to conjure up something that's so much worse than anything that you could possibly imagine. So leaving it vague or at least vague enough to me that's just so much more effective drama. So, but here on page 11, this is basically Missa sort of asserting herself, saying damn him, meaning meaning more drew, damn him, I was a legionnaire, a legionnaire. And you get the idea if as if it wasn't clear already. You get the idea this has def this whole experience has definitely taken its toll on missa so anyway getting into page 12 this is the second of the three uh, the, the uh, second of the three uh, prose pages this conversation between uh, uh, between cosmic boy and Mordrew. and basically what's going on here is they're negotiating and i'm i'm when i was talking about the last prose page i said that this worked for me here we start getting into why this works for me, you know. Number one, Cosmic Boy is a natural leader in a way that, yeah, the Legion has had a bunch of different leaders. But, you know, the reality of the situation is some people are called to lead and some people are not called to lead. And Rock is the kind of guy that leadership... he. He just kind of assumes it about himself. Not a not from a standpoint of arrogance or anything like that. He just takes the lead. And he's the type of charismatic person that I could see even Superboy taking orders from. You know, it's just, he's got that charisma. He's got that trustworthy nature about him. You know, he always knows what the right move is. And so he chooses to make it. And unlike Superboy or... I guess in, in this continuity, unlike Gand, or unlike Laurel Gand, he doesn't have necessarily the same type of raw firepower that they do. And so he, in a certain kind of way, he has no choice but to rely more on his wits now more than ever, because he doesn't have his magnetic powers anymore. And so all in all, I mean, you know, I think it would be fair to ask, you know, why is it that somebody who's basically completely human, even though, rock isn't actually human but you get the idea why is it that somebody that is otherwise just a garden variety standard issue human number one why would he be a member? excuse me let me get a sip off my coke here and whatever I mean I've been sitting here talking now for over half an hour I think it's probably just about time for a little miniature break anyways I think we all saw this one coming. I'm gonna take a drag off of uh, my e too. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. So, getting back into it. Why is it that a sort of standard issue human, or at least somebody that has all the powers of a standard issue human, why would this person be allowed to become a, a legion, a, a legionnaire at all, much less be the leader of the team? And if it wasn't clear before, the, these prose pages are really what spell what spell all of that stuff out, at least for me. You know, uh, basically... And again, this sort of goes into one of the things that I like about Five Years Later is that if you think about the idea, imaginary though it may be, the idea that there are real superheroes out there and real supervillains out there, it stands to reason that they can't always be at each other's throats, all right? It's just simply not possible. There are times when they're going to have to negotiate with one another. And that's basically what we're seeing here you know basically cosmic boy is basically negotiating not only for the release of missa and rond he's also explaining why it is that the legion can't go to guns with mordru and also why it is that mordru can't go to guns with the legion bottom line this is a it would be a war that neither one of them could win and that they would both definitely lose if they had to fight it right now. And so it's very, I think it's very astute and clever for Rock to recognize all of that. You know what I mean? Um, And I'll give you an example of, uh, of what I'm talking about here. Basically, Mordrew has just accidentally let slip that not only is he holding Missa, he's holding Rond as well, and so the prose passage here says, Rock's eyebrow raised involuntarily. What? The child didn't know about the lantern. He, uh, uh, the Green Lantern, uh, attacked the palace. You stupid old fool, you're giving him a second bargaining chip. He is being justly punished. Rock took a long sip of the wine. The boy is stalling, evaluating the little gift I've so stupidly presented him with. Curse it! Well, sir, it would would never be our intention to keep Missa away from you against her will. And as for the Green Lantern... Bah, what does it matter? They'd have found out sooner or later and come back. While it's true he attacked you, perhaps his actions should be judged in an impartial court. Perhaps? You presumptuous little... No, no. Easy. Easy, old man. He will use your righteous fury against you. My subjects have never suggested I rule with anything but fairness. Rock swallowed self-consciously. The boy knows he hasn't won anything yet. Well, sir, for a great leader, it's not enough to simply not abuse your power. You must avoid the appearance of such an abuse. Meaning what? Rock swirled the the wine around in his glass and stared to the side. Meaning, if the rest of the free world saw you serving as judge, jury, and executioner of your acknowledged enemies, you could find yourself facing... Well... Damn it. He has figured it out. In other words, you have to watch your actions, sir or you will provide every ex-Legionnaire and every free world with reason to rise up against you. Damnation! I've underestimated him again! I cannot control the actions of others, my friend, but I am prepared to defend myself. Rock carefully chewed the last of his meat. Can you afford to provoke an all-out attack now, sir? are you ready for that? Mordrew pushed himself away from the table. Let's retire to the garden, shall we? And again, I mean, this is just one of the th- guys, I'm not trying to, you know, blow smoke up my own ass or anything like that, or tell you guys how awesome I am. But guys, I'm going to be honest with you. One of the things that I do, I think really well is negotiate, Right. And the art of negotiation, it really comes down to you getting what you want while the other person gets what they want, right? That's what a negotiation is supposed to be. Compromise is what you call it when both sides get something that they don't want, right? That's compromise. Negotiation is finding a way to get what you want while the other guy gets what he wants too. Right now, maybe you don't get everything you want, but you still get what you want. And maybe the other guy doesn't get everything that he wants, but he still gets what he wants. And that's what a negotiation is supposed to be, right? And I'd like to think that I've had enough experience negotiating that I, I the the sort of tete a tete that uh, that a cosmic boy and Mordru are having with one another here. Rock really has done his homework pretty well. He knows what the local politics uh, in Mordrew's sector are really like. And he knows enough to know that Mordrew's position is a lot more precarious than it actually looks. He needs time. And so he's facing a very crucial vulnerability right now. That gives Rock the negotiating power to not demand... We need to be careful, because you don't really want to make demands of Mordrew. I mean, he might kill you just to simplify the negotiations, but Rock is astute enough to know that if he pushes the right button at the right time in the right way, he can get exactly what he wants, which is custody of Missa and Rond, and he can allow Mordrew to save face. And that's really what this comes down to. Mordrew doesn't want it coming out that a bunch of uh kids barged into his headquarters and demanded that they that that he give away his prisoners and then he did it. You know? So instead, Rock is presenting this as something that is gonna allow Mordrew to save face, at least with himself, While well, doing this is gonna is gonna prevent a war that I can't possibly win. It's it takes a certain amount of brains to recognize that sort of stuff, and kudos to Rock for recognizing it. So anyway, that's page 12, though. Getting into uh, page 13 and then kind of going forward from there, we get this uh, little sequence in the dungeon with Rond where Missa uh, basically she's, she begins the process of undoing the magical curses that uh, Mordru has uh, uh, put on him. And then she gets ambushed by Vricus. and so here we've got another sort of conflict in the offing here. Now on page fourteen, Laurel is leading the other legionnaires, or trying to lead the other legionnaires out of there. She hears Missa's scream, and so on. On uh, uh, page uh, fifteen, we see we we see Missa getting kicked around and beaten up by uh, by Vricus. And Rond basically moves in to Defender, so Vrykis, this is on page 16, Vrykis shows his vampire fangs to Rond, and so Rond, quote unquote, in turn, shows his own vampire fangs to uh, Vrykis, and it comes out that when Vrykis wasn't looking, basically chameleon boy took his place and you know showing him the fangs and everything that's basically chameleon boy's shape-shifting abilities this isn't actually uh rond it's chameleon boy and you know what i don't think i've ever come right out and said so at least i don't remember ever having done so but i really dig the gifts uh, the gifts version of chameleon boy i, I just i, I kind of like the arched eyebrows i mean Every time I see Every time I see this version of Chameleon Boy what I always think of is sort of 70s era Jack Nicholson you know with the eyebrows and just like that that, that kind of sinister looking smile and all that this I I can't really do a Jack Nicholson uh, impression so I'm not even going to try but every time I read Chameleon Boy's dialogue in a, a GIF Legion comic I see the likeness of Jack Nicholson and I also kind of hear his voice and the reason that kind of works for me is because Chameleon Boy is a kind of upbeat optimistic kind of happy-go-lucky character and I sort of like the contrast of kind of sinister looking Jack Nicholson and that voice and his look and all that contrasted against somebody who is basically incorruptible and I don't know why, but for some reason, the contrast, that juxtaposition is, to me, that's very successful. You know, now, uh, these, other, these other characters, maybe they're based on certain other actors, or, or maybe they're not. I honestly wouldn't, I'm not really the guy to ask, but at least Chameleon Boy, every time I read or see or just whatever the gifs version of chameleon boy what i see is jack nicholson whether that was intentional or not that's just the baggage that i'm bringing to it so i don't know another sip off my coke and another drag off my e <laughs> So that's page 16. Uh, getting into page 17, it's starting to look like uh, Vrykus has lost. You know, he's basically been outmaneuvered, out, outgunned, outmanned, outsmarted, outfoxed uh, by the Legion. So he decides that now's the time to make his move. He swoops in on, on Missa, and basically he's doing the old "I've got a hostage. You guys get back." You know, I'll, I'll kill her. I'm not, I'm not fucking around here. And so I guess he kind of forgot who he's dealing with um, because she basically does her little magical who's he, what's this, flare-up. And it looks like she just basically completely atomizes the guy. She r- reduces him to a smoking sort of pile of ash And the thing about it is, I mean, it's fair to ask, you know, if he's actually dead or if she just fucked him up real bad, you know? And because we saw him basically turn into Ash earlier in the story, so it's kind of fair to ask, did she actually kill him? And I tend to think that the answer is probably not. Notwithstanding, though, she she's definitely very upset about what's not just not not what's just happened to her although that too but just at this point uh the life that she's had here and all of the torment abuse and just horrible experiences that she's had to endure and what i find is that you know people who have been under a tremendous burden for a very long time they're strong Right up until the moment that they don't have to be strong anymore, and that is when they fall to pieces. And that's what we see here on page 18. She's screaming and she just, she can't stop screaming. It's like the weight of all this stuff is finally set in for her. She's safe now. She doesn't have to be strong anymore. And so this is the moment when she falls completely apart. And. I don't know why this is just—it's very real. It's very persuasive. I buy this. So anyway, that's that's page 18. Getting into page 19, this is basically the last of the prose pages, and Cosmic Boys secures the release both of of uh, Rond and of Misa, and I don't know. It's just again, I, there's really not a whole lot I can add to this that I didn't already say before other than, you know, Cosmic Boy definitely deserves to be the leader of this team. There's no mystery to it after you read these prose pages. That's, well, that's for sure. <clears throat> Elsewhere, um, in orbit above, uh, uh, above Trom, this is basically a Legion spaceship. It's, uh, it, it's, it's got uh, Janna Raw, Celeste Rockfish... Uh, Devlin and Bounty all on board and they've decided that or I say they Jan has decided that they're going to uh Wynoth and that's where they're gonna that's where they're gonna start their their pursuit of Roxas. So that's that stuff. Uh, back to Mordrew though. He's basically made it clear that yeah uh, he's allowed the 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 legionnaires to leave in peace but he's basically dropped them on a he calls it gross gross rose not sure what this is g-r-o-c-z which he says is days away from civilization even for a daxamite so basically yeah he let him go but he can't resist fucking with them either so anyway so that's that and the page closes closes out with More Drew's internal monologue, you know, it's Kind of a variation on we'll meet again (laughs) And all of that, so Anyway, and so that's that's basically that and As always, I just I, I dig this issue. I dig this story. I dig dig these comics dig this art dig all of this and in some ways the behind-the-scenes bullshit that was happening with the five-years-later Legion comic, <clears throat> in some ways that truly is unfortunate. But there are instances, I think, where that resulted in a better comic than we might have gotten otherwise. And so, I don't know. Who's, who's to say? But what I will say is that I am... I, I do intend, or at least I do hope, I'm able to go at least as far as issue number 24 with this series. Now, that's not going to be starting up, I don't think, anytime soon. Um, Honestly, issue number seven right here, this seems like as good a place as any to... This seems like as good a place as any to, at least for the time being, uh, put a pin in the five years later Legion and maybe start moving on to some other stuff going forward. And we'll... I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely planning to come back to this at some point. I just don't know when that's going to be. But uh, the reason I say that now looks like it's a pretty decent time to stop is uh, issues number eight and number nine and then number 11. These issues are all fill-in. And so fill-in issues, I mean. And so the story doesn't get advanced that much in those issues anyway. And so, like I say, this may actually be a pretty good time to stop. So, but what I will say is that the. Um, it is kind of interesting to me that we get a story that began in Legion number one, it continues all the way up to uh, Legion number three, gets put on pause in Legion number four, gets put on pause again in Legion number five, gets picked back up in Legion number six as though nothing happened. And then I guess you could say that the first phase of the story that gets told in the five years later Legion, it's, it, it, depending on how you look at it, it either gets wound up in issue number seven or it starts getting wound up in issue number seven. So, I don't know. It's it, it's all in how you, how, how you look at it. Uh, there, there are a few more things that still need to be done. You know, a few more, uh, a few more chess pieces still need to get moved around on the table, but the bottom line is that I guess, sort of phase one of five years later Legion, that is starting to, to come to an end. So that's very that's very interesting. So, But uh, as it is for right now, I'm not sure what I'll be talking about next week. And in fact, for that matter, I can't even swear that I will even have an episode next week. But whatever the next episode is, I really don't know what it's going to be. I kind of have my doubts that it's going to have anything to do with the Legion. So... Yeah, I don't know if that's a good thing or what, but, you know, that's that's just kind of what I'm thinking is going to happen here. When I come back, whenever that might be, not sure what I'm going to be talking about. I just know that it's probably not going to be Legion of Superheroes. So that, I think, is pretty much it for me for this time. So bye, everybody. I'll see you next time. feel free to email me. And I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Since we're on the subject of feedback, Trentus Magnus Punches Reality can be found on iTunes just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. Won't you take a moment to rate my show on iTunes? That helps new listeners find the show. And, just in case you don't think that I've given you enough shit to click on just yet, you can sponsor my show simply by going to 2 twotruefreaks.com There you can find the PayPal button donate any amount at all specify that you're sending Magnus some monetary love and you will be an official sponsor of my show's very next episode with your message read in the show's opener It's that easy and there's no minimum donation Be a trennis Magnus show sponsor today I don't have a Patreon Because if you think that I hate Twitter, boy, just wait till you hear what I think of Patreon. So, if you want to throw some bucks my way, the Two True Freaks PayPal link is the way to do it. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included, many will enter, Few will win, the white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only, all models are over the age of 18.